Good morning again. Uh, seems like you can't go out at all these days, and you can't go on the news. You can't uh, wake up for one minute in a day that you can't hear about the coronavirus. It is literally a part of our lives, whether we listen to a podcast, we watch a TV show, watch the news, it's being brought up everywhere. And one of the things that I, I find is that is God has such timing in all of this. Although I know that we don't wish coronavirus outbreak to be upon anybody, we don't want that to be in the world in the first place. But what I find it very interesting is this, that of all time, that this outbreak was most fears during the weekend of Easter. That's, it is as if God wanted to seize the moment to turn people's attention. And in fact, that's what's going on. That the whole world is brought to his knees by this tiny virus. We can't go out. We can't do all sorts of things. And, and cause people to wrestle with a lot of things that, that they have or their, their experience. And cause them to ask the question, why if there is a God, why would God let something like this to happen? Why would God allow bad things, evil things, suffering happen in this world? And, and inevitably, there are people, whether they believe in God or not, they start asking these questions. I believe this is the, one of the very reasons why God allowed it to happen. Because it put us in a place to talk about these things. And particularly today, as we celebrate the risen King Jesus Christ. And I believe this is, he is the reason, he is the answer, he is the antidote to all the wrestling, all the anxiety, all the things that we're going through in this life, in this season of life. That he is that answer. And so again, I don't think that it is coincident that God allowed this to happen during this season. But praise be to God that we have our Lord Jesus, and we get to talk about him today, and we get to see him uh, at work in this world, and hopefully what we listen to from his word today will become the answer for you if you don't know Jesus, that his resurrection is the only thing that will give us hope. His resurrection is the only thing that will answer the questions in your heart that cannot be answered by anything else. One of the things we're going to see today is this. One of the main things we see is that God sometimes allow bad things to get worse. Allow bad things to get worse so that you and I get to, get to see who God really is, what God's power can be. That God sometimes hold himself back and let bad things get worse so that he can perform the type of miracles that only God can perform. That we will get to know that God that is consistent in the scripture. That is outside of the box that we can think of. Outside of the box that we can understand the experiences that we have. So today we're going to read from a very familiar passage. A familiar story to many of you. From Luke chapter 11 verse 1 to 44. And I know. I've been reading a lot of uh, uh, web, uh, reading a lot of articles and webinars, and it's saying that now that we preach online, we should preach shorter. That the attention span is shorter. That uh, that on Easter we should not preach long. But I chose a passage that has forty-four verses on it, and I know it's long, but I also realize that Jesus likes to break rules. And so I'm going to trust that Jesus' word has power. He's going to break some of these rules. And we're going to dig into this whole story because the context of this story is so important. Every bit of, the, uh, of this story will help us to see just how powerful Jesus is, why his resurrection matters in our lives. So if you have your Bible, if you have your iPhone or your computer, open up to BibleGateway.com um, and turn to Luke, uh, John chapter 11, 
And we're going to read for us from John chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what the word of God says. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the night is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken to of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been entombed four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
and Jesus, deeply moved, again came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it, and Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. We know that this is not some fairy tale that you put in the Bible, but it is your very word. That you breathe these words into being, that Lazarus was indeed raised from the dead by your son Jesus Christ. And so God, would you open our eyes today as we look at this story. Help us to see just the power that Jesus Christ has. But Lord, not only just seeing and knowing that, but help us to have faith and trust in him. So that we get to experience the same power. We can have life. We can have resurrection. So Lord, would you stand in my body this morning? Would you speak through my vocal cord? Would you think in a mind the things that you want us to learn, want us to pay attention to? God, I pray that you will help me to preach with power and authority that is not from myself. That has only come from your word and from your truth. And Lord, I pray for every person who's listening this morning. Particularly those among us that are listening who don't know you yet, who don't have Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you open their hearts, give them faith to trust in you and believe in you today. So Lord, may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing, acceptable in your sight today, Lord. My rock and my redeemer. Get glory In this place, get glory in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. The story opened up telling us right from the get-go that God sometimes allows bad things to get worse. Luke kind of laid out the cards right from the beginning that God sometimes just let bad things happen. Not only let bad things happen, he let it become worse things. Right from the get-go in chapter 11, verse 1 to 3, we see a man whom Jesus loved. He loves his family, loves Mary and Martha. He loves the whole family. And Mary and Martha told Jesus, uh, sent word to Jesus that their brother was ill, was dying. All to say that, Jesus, come and heal my brother. And then quickly we see in verse cha- chapter 11, verse 5, when Jesus heard of what happened, and particularly verse 5, he says, I love, Jesus loved this family. And in verse 6, here's what it says. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So wait. They heard that Lazarus was ill. They told Jesus, Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, but yet he loved them so much, loved him so much that he stayed two extra days. Instead of flying there, walking there, zooming there to go perform a miracle to heal the friend that he loved. 
Who does that? What kind of God, what kind of Savior is that that would let bad things to get worse, to let that bad things happen to the friend that he loved? I'll tell you what kind of God will do that. A God who actually loves us enough to hold himself back by, from putting his healing hand upon us. The kind of God that knows what is best for us, that he's withheld his own power because he loves us, because he loves us enough that the bad, a lot of the bad things happen because he has something more to do later on in our lives. Later on in, in what, what he wants to accomplish greater things. When our second son, when he was younger, I remember a time that he was really sick. He got a really high fever, got admitted to the hospital. And one of the saddest scenes, I remember just looking at him. He was like, he was so young. He was had to be kept inside almost like a cage. So he doesn't run out. He has an IV on his arm. He just wrapped up like a zombie. He just His arm can't barely bend. And, and I just looking at him. I just want to rip him out of that cage and say, come home, son. I want to soothe you. I want to sing to you. I want to hug you. But that would have been a bad thing for me to do. A loving thing for me to do is keep him, to keep him over at the hospital. Let him be observed to get the ivy, to get the medicine that he needed. You see, sometimes God allowed bad things happen in our lives. God allowed bad things, in fact, get to worse things in our lives. Because God sometimes intentionally, unmistakably let these things happen because he loves us. That he will hold back his power so that we get to the place where we are struggling, get back to the place where we have no other lifeline life to hold on to, then he got our attention. See, the Jewish uh, background context here helps us to see one of the reasons why Jesus did this. Because uh, when it was uh, superstition uh, in the Jewish culture that a dead body, after it died... The soul of that person, the spirit of that person will linger on top of the person two or three days. And so it is perceivable according to the superstition that after two or three days, the spirit want to keep, want to get back into the physical body and somehow perhaps it, will, it can get back into it and that person will be resurrected at this superstition. But you see how Jesus did not even leave it to chance that the people will get to experience something that's so powerful. That he waited two extra days. In fact, he didn't get to Bethany till four days later. All to show the people that there's nothing, even superstition cannot steal his glory, cannot steal his power. Jesus is waiting so that all human logic, all human reasoning, all human superstition will go thrown out of the box. So when he showed up, he can do something that people have to say, it has to be God. It has to be Jesus. He wants to show up and, and people would not mistakenly chalk it up to luck, chalk it up to, to human power. He wants to step back for two days and then show up. And when people know what he did, they will know a God that they've never known before. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, surprising to Mary and Martha to go ask Jesus to come because they have heard that Jesus have healed people. Jesus have, have healed many people. In fact, they probably have heard of Jesus resurrecting people too. Because we saw from Scripture, Jesus resurrected the widow's son. Jesus resurrected Jairus' daughter. But all those resurrections happened when Jesus was there. Jesus was standing when they died, and then Jesus performed his resurrection. Never before have they heard and known that Jesus could resurrect someone who is far away, that he was not present with the dead. In fact, he was uh, the person was.
die for four days, that Jesus could actually resurrect that person. And so now, while the Jesus waited for two days, the worst actually happened. Because as we go down the story, he was having this conversation with the disciples, and I think during somewhere along those two days, Lazarus died. And I want you to bring you to where the, the uh, Jesus told the, uh, told the disciples that Lazarus had died, and 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 Jesus says something that is so disturbing, something that almost sounds so wrong. Here in verse 14, Jesus told his disciples plainly, he said this. The disciples were thinking that the usual self, they're thinking what they're not supposed to think. They think, oh, Lazarus was just falling asleep. But Jesus meant this, that Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Did you hear what Jesus just said? Jesus said, Lazarus was dead. But I am glad. Lazarus was dead and you are glad? It sounds so wrong in many levels. How could you be glad, Jesus, that your friend whom you love is dead? See, Lazarus was dead and I'm glad. And he said it was for your sake, for your people's sake, for the disciples' sake, for Mary and Martha's sake, that they may believe in something that they've never known before. You see, Jesus said, I'm glad because now you get a chance to see me at work in such a way that will shatter every box that you put around me. I'm glad because Lazarus is dead now that you get to know a God that you've never known before. I want to introduce to you the God of the great I am. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And if I were to show you that I'm the resurrection of the life, I need a dead person. And Jesus said, not just any dead person that you can chalk it up to superstition when he, when I resurrect him. I'm going to show you a person who is four days dead. Like dead, dead. So that when I show up and resurrect him, you see who I am, really am. The great I am. So Jesus, not only glad that Lazarus was dead, And I know sometimes Jesus was glad when some of our lives carry dead things. See, Jesus is glad for some of you who have lost your job. Jesus was glad when, when, when you have lost, uh, didn't get into the school that you wanted to get into. Jesus was glad when you broke up with your, your, your girlfriend five, that, uh, that has been going on for five years. Jesus was glad that some of your family is struggling and it sounds again so wrong on many levels, but Jesus is not happy about that, but Jesus was glad because now he got your attention and my attention. Because there's no one else to hold on to, no one else that can respond, that can perform this miracle. And now Jesus got your attention. He said, I'm glad because now you're focused on me so I can show you who I am. It bothers us when we hear this, isn't it? When things go from bad to worse and for laughter to dead, we don't want to hear that. But here's the good news. God is not scared of your circumstances. 
The God of the Bible is not overwhelmed by coronavirus. Jesus is not figuring out how am I going to put this world back into place. He's the one who created the world. Jesus is not tripping over that your life is not working out the way you want it to. And so now you're giving up on your life. See, you and I are scared of that because our eyes are always fixed on the circumstances. Our eyes was fixing on the crisis in our lives. Except when we, what we should have been doing is we ought to fix our eyes on Christ. That's why we get scared. Man, I find it super funny that as I was studying this text, that this story we're often known as the resurrection of Lazarus. But yet there's no recording of any word or whisper or response of Lazarus. Like you would think someone who just died and be raised from the dead. Like Luke would at least least give him a line and say, hallelujah, praise Jesus. When he was coming out of doing nothing, zero, quiet. There's no response of Lazarus, the the quote-unquote main character in here. And I believe it is in completely intentional because this story is not about our circumstances or Lazarus being raised from the dead. It is so much more about Jesus Christ. That Jesus himself said, I am glad because for your sake now you get to believe. And at the end of this story, he says, so that people might believe that God the Father sent me, that I am the Christ, I am the risen king. See, therefore, there's nothing about Lazarus. Because God doesn't want to let his glory be stolen from anybody. God wanted everybody to know his power and so put their faith in him and and therefore glorify him. So the story continues. Jesus said, I'm glad that my friend Lazarus was dead. And so Jesus showing two days late to Bethany. Total four days, uh, Lazarus was in the tomb. And of course, who did he meet first? The go-getter, type A person, Martha. I like that person. That's me. Like Jesus coming, I'm going there. Jesus showing my house, I'm cooking. That Martha showed up and went up to Jesus. And his first sentence, first thing he said to Jesus in verse 21 is this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Let me give you a little interpretation and reading between the lines. What what Martha really is saying is this. That God, if you just show up two days, perhaps there is a way for you. To perform a miracle that works. I've seen it work before. Or if you just show up when my brother, before he breathed his last breath, I've seen you raise people from the dead like that. You know, if you just come in the right timing, do it the right way, Jesus, I have faith in you. I believe in you that you can do miraculous things. But unfortunately, Jesus, you Show up a little late. You show up a little bit differently than what I expected you to. But you know what? I still have faith. So whatever you ask the Father now, let it be. And and I'll take whatever scraps I can get from you. You see, the problem with Martha was never that she had no faith. But the problem with her is, and I think perhaps the problem for you and I is, we have conditional faith. 
Oh, Jesus, I believe in you because I believe that if you just do it this way at my timetable and my methodology and my life stage, if you just do it at these times, I have all the faith in the world. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, friends, what kind of box do you put around Jesus? On the RSVP card, what time do you expect Jesus to show up in your life? Do you have a particular door that you're waiting at that, God, I'm going to expect Jesus to walk through this door. I'm going to wait and wait and wait. Because, Jesus, you can only come through this door. What method have you designed around to, to make sure Jesus will show up exactly how you want him to show up? Because the scripture tells us, sometimes, Sometimes God shows up in ways that is beyond our timing, beyond our expectation. What if God wants to show up when you lose your job because he wants to pivot you to a career that will expand his kingdom in a whole new different way? What if God came into the world and and allowed this coronavirus thing to happen so that everyone needs to be slowing down, being with their family, having to listen in, and reflect over their lives. And now, all, all of a sudden, God have their audience, their ears. What if God is giving, putting someone you love on the sickbed? Living in the fear of death, and now you have an opening to share the gospel with that person who previously are unwilling to accept and listen even to the name of Jesus. What if God keeps you from going to school that you wanted to go to because he knew if you go to that school, you would be pulled away from him. What if God shows up in ways that are unexpected, in time that you don't expect him to? Will you still have faith in him? See, Martha came with the expectation of the box around Jesus, and Jesus told her, after, he, after she asked him these questions, Jesus told her the answer. In verse, 25, in verse 24, uh, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And you can just see Martha's head just like cranking, right, working real hard there. It's like, wait. Jesus, I know that my brother, in verse 24, I know that my brother will rise again. I've read my scripture. I did my quiet time. In the Old Testament, it says that at the end of the day, that my uh, people will be raised again, resurrected, joined with God. I know that, Jesus. Then Jesus entered in and told her this whole new way of understanding of life. Jesus told her this in verse 25, that I am the resurrection and the life. Notice it doesn't say, I will give resurrection. I will give life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am it. I am the life. What he's saying is this, that, that it doesn't matter whether, it, it's not a big deal that Lazarus will be raised for later on or in the future. It matters more that you get to have life today. Because he went on to say, whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What Jesus is telling uh, uh, Martha is this, that I am the resurrection and the life. That you don't have to wait to the future to get life. Life eternal. You get life now. And though if you have life now because you have me, you have me, you have life. And even though you die physically, you're just merely falling asleep. You will wake up again to a better place 
to be with God forever. But you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till later, but you can have it now. And it will require you to believe in me. It will require you to accept me. It will require you to be making me as your Lord and Savior. Because when you have me, you get real life today. Whatever happens here on earth, it's just an episode that will pass. And again, Martha said to Jesus, you can again see, see her just working so hard. It's like, oh, this is blowing her mind. This is outside of the box of who she thought Jesus was. And, and so she said to Jesus, and says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She, here she is proclaiming something that likely she has not really understand fully, but she is exercising her faith. That God, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah that I've been looking for. And I want to believe in whatever that you said. Because I want to have life. So Martha went to get Mary. Mary was still in the house crying. By the time Martha showed up and, and go get Mary and said, Mary, uh, our Lord Jesus is coming. He's, he wants to visit and talk to you. So Mary just darted out there. And then Mary went out, and then here's what Mary said. Words that we've heard before from the mouth of Martha. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then he said, where have you laid him? The Jews there crying with Mary, they said to him, Lord, come and see. Then we come to the verse that many of us are familiar with, as Jesus wept. If you grew up in church, this ought to be your favorite verse, because you want a candy in Sunday school class, you raise your hand, I memorize a verse, Jesus wept. But this phrase, this short phrase, are pregnant with deep emotion, because I think for the longest time, I thought Jesus wept, was because somehow Jesus was just sympathetic toward Mary and Martha. And in fact, if you look carefully in text verse 36, that was given as, as a possibility. Because some of the Jews there would say, well, Jesus wept. They look at Jesus was crying and weeping. See how he loved him. Perhaps he was crying because Lazarus was his good friend. But in verse 37, these troublemakers were start saying, well, I don't know. I mean... Could he really be that sad? I mean, after all, he was the one to open the eyes of blind man. Couldn't he save Lazarus earlier? If he just showed up early again, if he just kind of come to do this according to what we expect him to do, he could have saved him. He didn't have to cry. And then you got people like me and you that got a chance to read through the whole story and we know the ending in just a few sentences. We know Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. Why, 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 why put up that emotional energy to go and, and cry over something that Jesus knew in just a few minutes he's going to do? And I want to propose to us the reason why he wept is not because he was sympathetic, though he might be, and he was. And I believe the reason why Jesus wept was because Jesus was troubled by the unbelief that was going on. You're like, Ben, where do you see that? I want to direct your attention in verse 33. Here describing when Jesus saw Mary was weeping and the people around her was weeping. It says he was deeply moved. 
He was deeply moved in his spirit. This word deeply moved, the word moved was used three out of times in the gospel accounts. And all three of those have this connotation of really stern, rebuking, stern, um, uh, correcting, uh, warning. And it, it, it was not a, aww, that type of cry. It was moved to this, almost, it was a picture of a horse that's frustrated. You know how horses, when, I don't know if you know how horses, but uh, at least I watch it on TV, that horses, when they get frustrated, they do this like snort thing, right? Go, like that, right? The horse just gets so agitated and frustrated. And says, that's the picture that we have of Jesus, that he was so deeply moved inside in his spirit. And he said he was so troubled. What was Jesus troubled about? He was troubled. By the unbelief that was going on around him. He was troubled by the people around him. Keep putting in boxes that says Jesus could not do anything. If Jesus could have shown up early. If Jesus could have performed his miracle. Lazarus would have, would have been saved. It's very interesting. This word wept. It was not the usual word that was used for crying and weeping. Like it was used in the widow's son that was resurrected. Jesus wept over uh, what was going on. It was the, it, this word weep and a web was used only one other time. One other time in the gospel of account in chapter 19 in Luke. Luke chapter 19, it was, uh, it was after Jesus entered into Jerusalem for his final time on Palm Sunday. Then he looked over and saw Jerusalem. And the first thing he did was he wept. He wept because he saw a city that who would eventually, as we have experienced on Friday and read in Scripture on Friday, reflected that he would turn against Jesus. He wept because there was a city full of people who on one hand cheered for Jesus, but on the other hand, in just a few days, will crucify Jesus. Jesus was weeping of just the unbelief that was taking place, how they have known Jesus, heard Jesus, and seen Jesus do miracles, and yet these people are still continue to have unbelief. And so then Jesus asked them, show me the tomb. Show me where it is. Show me where you laid the body. In other words, show me where your hope has died. Show me the place where your faith has been given up on God. Show me the dead corner in your heart that you stopped believing because you think God was absent because he didn't show up the way you wanted him to. Show me where you put the box and put the ro- uh, a stone over and cover it over because you have given up on God. Show me that place. Because I'm about to do something that will blow your mind. I'm going to do something that will cause you to have faith in me. Brothers and sisters, friends, family. Have you lost faith in Christ? You don't have to answer that, but I will, I will venture to guess for many of us. At some point in our lives, we have given up on Jesus. We have stopped believing that Jesus can change my life. In fact, when things go from bad to worse, somewhere along the way, we stop believing that Jesus can overcome the worst thing that's going on in my life. We're giving up hope because we think God, even God can do something in this situation. But here's the, here's the word I want to give you today, that Jesus is so God resurrecting. 
Jesus wants to go to that place where you have lost hope. He wants to go and do some resurrecting in your life. Jesus wants to resurrect the dead marriage that you have in your life. Jesus wants to resurrect the messed up family that you have in your life. Jesus wants to go into your, 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 your workplace where you have lost hope, you have lost purpose. He wants to resurrect that in your life. Jesus wants to resurrect the dead ministry that you think is going downhill real quick. He wants to resurrect that. Jesus wants to go in and resurrect your dead heart. Where you've drifted away. Like in the ocean with the wave tossing back and forth. And you've drifted farther and farther. And Jesus is saying to you today that he wants to resurrect that. But here's what happens. When, Jesus, when the people show Jesus where, the, 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 where they laid them. Where, the, the hope, the, where they, they have given up hope. The story tells us that Jesus went to the tomb and it was a cave and the stone laid against it. And then Jesus uttered the words that are so improbable. In verse 39, Jesus said to the people, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Well, you got to ask yourself this question, right? Like, well, Jesus, you are about to raise the dead to life. Like, you had that type of power. Don't you think you have the power to get the, the stone rolled away? Well, why, why do you need to ask us to go move the stone? Like, after all, you have resurrecting power. All you need is just one word. The rock would just blast and, and broke down or just rolled away. Why did you have to ask us to move the stone away? I believe there's a story, a lesson here that God wants us to learn is this. That God had the desire, had the hearts, had the, had, had the passion to do the impossible things in your life and my life. But what he asks of us is for us to do the possible thing on our end. That God will do what only he can do, but he wants you to do what only you can do. If you don't like that, maybe you can switch place with Jesus and say, Jesus, why don't you roll away the rock and I will resurrect the dead? Now, that's not possible. So, so Jesus said, why don't you do what you can do to roll the rock away, and I will do what you certainly cannot do is to raise dead people from life. See, God wants us to do our part because that is a step of faith. This is a step of faith to roll the stone, you know. It's not easy to roll away the stone. The people who rolled the stone on to cover the tomb, they just did it probably a couple of days ago. It was not some tiny pebble. It requires several men to roll that stone, cut that stone, roll that stone, and put it on. And now Jesus showed up to the party late and started saying, why don't you guys roll the stone back away? It requires work. But beyond work, it requires faith because we know Martha. Look at Martha's answer here. Here's what Martha said. Always Martha. He said this, she said this to Jesus, verse 39. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. You know what happens when we roll away the stones that keep the dead things in our lives? It smells. When you start rolling away the stones that let Jesus come into those dead places in your heart, whoo, smells bad. He's going to bring back some guilt. He's going to bring back some shame. He's going to bring it right up to your face what has gone wrong in your life. How you have failed. How you have disappointed people. 
why you even want to roll the stone and cover up in the first place because you want to get over those things. You want to put it, sweep it under the rug, hide it in behind the rock so you don't have to deal with those things. You see, when you move the stone away, it requires a certain amount of faith to believe that God actually is going to do something. That when you roll the stone away, perhaps you needed to go have a conversation, a difficult conversation with someone that you know you don't want to have. Or someone that you hated, someone that you're bitter at. It might call you to have to be forgiving to the person who have hurt you. See, moving away from your stone, Martha said physically is true that it will smell. It's because dead things are not supposed to be good. And I believe there are some dead things in your life and my life today that God is calling out and said, roll away the stone. Do what you can to have that conversation. Open it up to me because I am about to do something to resurrect those dead things in your life. And here's the climax of the story. Because in verse 41, the people took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me and that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands, feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to unbind him and let him go. By the name of Jesus, the dead was raised from to life. Jesus, I love how one preacher put it this way. He said that Jesus had to call the name of Lazarus because this news was so good that if you just say, come out, all these dead people would start coming out. You know what? Jesus might be calling some of our Lazarus to come out in our lives. There are some dead things in our lives that Jesus is saying, come out. He's calling to move that stone. I'll call it to come out in the name of Jesus. Every chain will be broken. Dead things will become alive. You know why I'm so confident of that? Because to over 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ himself was raised from the dead. If he was carrying all of the world's sins... He was as cursed as he could have been before his father. And God can overcome that. What's your death things and what's my death things? See, God is calling some of us. to. He's calling some of our marriage and say, come out. He's calling some of our dead dreams and say, come out. He's calling some of our sins and say, come out. I'm going to wash away those sins. Some of our addictions come out. Some of our disappointments come out. Some of our relationship with people come out. He wants to do a work of resurrection. Uh, 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 he wants to bring resurrection to your life and my life. And for some of us, we never had Jesus in our lives. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me just say a word to those who are watching or listening that are non-believers. There's one thing I learned through this whole season of coronavirus is this. That nothing in this world is guaranteed. 
If you were to ask me a month ago, two months ago, that we'll be quarantined at home, that we'll be, we'll be living the way we live, that there's no one that can predict that. No experts, no, 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 no king, no government, no president can predict that. And yet, all of us are being affected by this tiny virus. See, nothing guarantees us in this world, not riches, not wisdom, not possessions, not relationships. And Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will live, but not just live in this world, but you get to live forever and you get to experience me today. And though all of us will die physically, you will wake up again on the brighter side of things because you're guaranteed to be with God forever. So I believe those who have invited you to join us today, They wanted you to hear this good news about Jesus. And if you want to put your faith in him, all you need to do is just put your, uh, and pray to him and say, God, I've wronged you of a sinner. I've relied on myself. I don't want to do that anymore. I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that I believe in him. And when I believe in him, he becomes my life, and I get to live forever with him. And the way I get to follow him, because he has the best plan for my life. And if that's what you want to do, I want to encourage you to pray that to our Lord Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you need help, certainly you can respond to us on our, on our website. And we will be happy and glad to pray with you so that you will have eternal life and life to the full. Our God, Jesus Christ, is a God of resurrection. He was raised from the dead, and now he's the living king. Let us pray and give thanks to him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. That you're not bounded by sin. You're not bounded by burden. You're not bounded by our foolishness. Oh, God, you have the power to raise dead people alive. And, Lord, many of us who are believers know, we all know that we were once dead, but we're alive today because Christ is in us. So, Lord, hallelujah, praise Jesus that we get to have new life. And though no matter what happened in this world, that we might even die physically, we have eternal life, that we will be, we will be awake. We will wake up from this world, from our death, And we'll spend eternity with you. And so, God, I pray for those who have made a decision to follow you and pray to you to receive you. God, would you send Christians around them? Would you connect us with them so that we can help them to continue to grow in their faith in you? So, Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for being the resurrection of life. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.